This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 5. I'm starting a series tonight on biblical discernment. Christian circles today lack discernment. Uh, the things that they put up with and the things that are accepted as being okay. There's a real lack of discernment. And my goal is that each one of us become discerning Christians. And uh, I'm sure everybody here, as well as I know them, tries to be that, but I still think this will be beneficial to us. The word discern means to examine something and make a judgment on it. There are three main attitudes in our world today, and sadly in our Christian world today, that I think make discerning very, very difficult. The first one is the, fa the false idea that we're not supposed to judge others. And that is definitely a false idea. While it's true we're not to condemn others with our judgment, we are to judge. How else can you reprove, rebuke, and exhort? If you don't judge, you look at somebody, you see something, and you make a judgment. So, so it's necessary. So, so this idea that there's no judging it makes it hard to discern because you say, oh, oh, I can't say that because, you know, I might offend somebody. The second attitude is keep everything positive. And I was surprised how far back this goes. Harry or Henry, I can forget, Harry Ironside, he died in 1951. And one of my sources that I've been studying on this has an article by him on this positive things. And he's talking about it back before 1951 about how we've turned away from preaching negative. And those people who think we should keep everything positive have never read their Bibles. Read the prophets of the Old Testament. Did they keep everything positive? How about the apostles? Did they keep everything positive? How about Jesus Christ himself? Did he keep everything positive? I think it's good to end on the positive, but starting out on the positive is a mistake in keeping it. What was his name that, that started uh, Tennessee Temple? Robert Robertson. I have a quote from him where he said, I keep it positive, I keep the negative away from my people. Now here was a man, a man of God, a man did more for God than I'll ever do, so I don't mean to criticize him in that sense, but this was a man who kept everything positive and because of the strength of his personality held everything together. But as soon as he was off the scene, everything collapsed. Tennessee's temple is no more. The church in Chattanooga is just a rock and roll church and it's not anywhere near the size it was because he didn't teach his people to discern. And then the third one, is nobody wants to rock the boat. Don't want us to upset anything. I'm going to tell you something. Our Christian boat needs to be rocked a little bit. Uh, I, when I think about that, I think about when Jesus was sleeping on the boat and the storm's coming and I, they say, don't you care? Well, the rocking the boat got their attention where it needed to be on him. And so we need to rock the boat. So, so uh, I think it's very difficult 
to do things like that. Now, in, uh, in uh, Hebrews chapter 5, I was going to read the whole passage, but reading passages that long are problems for me because I get dyslexic. So I'm just going to read from verse 11 through 14. But let me give you the context. It's talking about Jesus. He starts out by talking about the high priests in the Old Testament, then Jesus being our high priest after the... the uh, uh, order of Melchizedek. And then get to verse 11. It says, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. Now, I'm not going to get to looking at this, ver or this passage until later in the message, but I suggest that you read the whole chapter and then continue on to chapter 6. Because remember, the chapter divisions aren't in the originals. And it just flows right together. Our, pro, our high priest is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not our pastor. It's not other preachers that come through. We don't have a headquarters in place. It, it's, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are many things that we need to learn about him that are hard to be uttered. And I looked that word up because that means hard to, be, hard to say, hard to, to, to bring him out. But that's really not what it means. In this particular case, in this particular case, it means they're they're hard to lay them out so they'll be understood. In other words, they're difficult things, and the Bible talks about this. There are some things that are hard to understand, and but why are they so hard to understand for modern day Christians? Because most Christians today are dull of hearing. They don't listen. People lack the ability to discern. They, they, they don't know how to think. You know, our schools, when those of us who are older at least, went to school, we were taught to think. Now they're taught to feel and to judge everything and move everything on emotion instead of on, on using their brains. Uh, first thing I want to know, I want you to know, is that discernment is not an option for Christians. It's not optional. We are commanded to, to discern. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 21 and 22, it says, Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. Now that's called discernment right there, what we're looking at. To prove means to put something to the test or to discern about it, to find, figure out about it so you can make decisions and, and judgments on it. And then we're to hang on to those things which we discern to or we prove to be good. Uh, and what's the measure of goodness? Is it the laws of the land? No. Is it what we think? No. It's the Word of God. We're to take everything and compare it, and test it, to prove it, whatever term you want to use, by the Word of God so that we uh, find out what is good in God's sight, and then we're to abstain from the appearance of evil. Now, the modern versions, for the most part, those that I've looked at, all tell us we're to uh, abstain from all forms of evil. But that's not what it says. 
it says, from the appearance of evil. That means if something in and of itself is not necessarily evil, but the, the impression that it can put on somebody else is that it is, stay away from it. Because that's part of our testimony. That's part of our saying we're different. And so it's important that we understand that we're to look at things not from, well, is this something, does the Bible forbid this, or does the Bible say we can't do this? No. Is this going to look bad? Is it going to bring reproach to the name of our Savior? That's what we should look at in everything that we do. To prove means to test or to discern. Oh, I, I went backwards. We're to keep away from anything, even if it looks bad. You know, I think everybody here would agree with me, it's wrong to drink alcoholic beverages. But they make a non-alcoholic beer that has no alcohol in it. And when I was in France, and I would never do this again, but when I was in France, uh, our neighbor would come over and, and uh, he came over one day and I had some non-alcoholic beer, but I poured it in a mug so he wouldn't see the label. I set the label down deliberately away from him. And he tasted it and he was drinking it along. And I says, what do you think of that beer? And then it all of a sudden hit him. Pierre doesn't drink alcohol. And he picked up the bottle, the bottle and he turned it around and he saw it was Tortel, which is a non-alcoholic beer. And, and, and he said, well, well. I even one time switched the label on one of Annie's father's bottles of beer and put the, on the Tortel beer, it had the same bottle, I put his, whatever brand he liked label on it and he wouldn't believe I'd done that because they can't tell the difference except if they know that it's that. But the point is, should I have drunk that beer? Answer is absolutely not. Because anybody who saw me doing it that didn't know it was alcoholic beer, it would have looked bad. That's what I'm talking about. So I would never do that again. I wish I could go back and undo all the things that I've done in my life that I would never do again. But I can't do that. In uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. You know, God is not the only spiritual force in this world. That's one of the biggest problems with Pentecostalism. And I come out of Pentecostalism. I started out there. I was saved in a Pentecostal church. And Pentecostals, anytime they feel this moving inside that some spirit is moving them, oh, that's God. No, there are other spiritual influences in this world. And most of the ones in this world are not good. They're usually under the control of the God of this world, which we know to be Satan. We don't just believe something because our spiritual leader says so. And we've got a good pastor who preaches the Word of God straight and true. But we shouldn't take it because he says so. You shouldn't take it just because I say so. You should go and get out the Scriptures and study it yourselves. One of the best things that ever happened to me spiritually when it comes to the Word of God, I think it had the effect on my family also, but when we first went to France, we didn't have much money. We couldn't go to all the preacher's meetings and things like this. And all we had was, we had our King James Bible. We had me, and we had Annie, and we had Natalie. Eric wasn't with us. And we had the Holy Spirit. And we went to the Scriptures and found out what the Scriptures said on things. And that's what we're supposed to do. That's part of discerning. Uh, we need to test each spirit, each thing that comes along, 
by the Word of God. Put it to the test. How does it measure up to this? In the Old Testament, talking about the false prophets, it says if they don't, if they don't agree with the Word of God, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but if they don't agree with the Word of God, it says there's no light in them. So we need to discern and, and judge things and figure out what's right or right and, and what's wrong is wrong and uh, rightly divide the word of truth. In Philippians chapter 1 and verses 9 and 10 it says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve the things which are excellent, that ye may be sincere without sacrifice until the day of Christ. Our love of God should push us to increasing our knowledge about Him. I mean, we've got some pretty mature saints here today. And we don't even come close to knowing all there is to know about our Lord. And so those of you who are a little younger in the faith, don't, don't worry, you're not going to get there either until we get to heaven. <laughs> okay, it's just that way, that's the way it is. But, but uh, let's, uh, let's learn more about Him. Well, the more we learn about Christ, the more we apply His mind, which is the Word of God, to our own thinking, uh, the more we can judge or discern correctly. But, I mean, this is a command to approve those things which are excellent. And how can you approve the things that are excellent if you don't examine them, if you don't look at them and make judgment based on them? But it says uh, that they may be sincere. That means being what they ought to be, no fakes. When we learn about Christ, we live by His Word, we can be sincere and not be a fake. When we do this, we make the right judgment, then we can be free of offense to our Lord until His coming. And that's what we want to be, isn't it? Even as well as we try, we're still going to trip up sometimes. It's important that we understand that discernment is not an option for a Christian. That's what it's talking about when it says study to show yourselves approved to God. All the things it tells us about using the Word of God. The Bible says that we're to live by every Word of God. And so we have to discern, we have to go in. And then why do we have to do it? We live in a spiritually dangerous world and we live in a spiritually dangerous time. It is dangerous to live where we live right now as far as spiritual things are concerned, in other ways too. It's getting more dangerous all the time. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, it says, Evil men and seducers shall, act, shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So we're not going to have less evil men as we grow and evolve in our lives and things like this, like the world wants to tell us. We're not going to have less. We're going to have more. There's going to be evil men and seducers more and more as we get closer to the end of time. And they are deceiving. They're deceiving people all over the place. How many people has Joel Osteen deceived? Many are going to be deceived because many are deceiving. And folks, we're going to see it comes into our churches too. Our churches, this kind of church. Uh, we must keep in mind that not only are they deceiving, they themselves are deceived. They're deceived by Satan. Their eyes are blinded. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, But there were false prophets also among the people, 
even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bringing upon them swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. We should expect there to be false teachers among us. We should expect it. It's going to happen. That means we've got to be alert. We have to be discerning. They will bring in damnable heresies. What's a damnable heresy? I might shock some people, and especially those of you who hear this on the radio, but Calvinism is a damnable heresy because it's a false gospel. Yet we allow those people in our fellowship, and we shouldn't. It's a damnable heresy. That heresy will tell you that, oh, you don't have to worry if you're elect, you're going to heaven anyway. And if you're not, you can't do anything about it anyway. That's a damnable heresy. Now, how you can be a Calvinist and a Baptist, I have no idea, because Calvin, in his institutes, says that he wrote his institutes of the Christian religion to prove that he was not a Baptist. The sad thing is, is that many will follow them. Calvinism is on the rise in America today in in independent Baptist churches and especially in the Southern Baptist Convention. But many will follow them. Here's, in my opinion, the worst part of this. Because of their compromise, because of their not doing what they ought to be doing and not standing where they are, these false teachers going off, the, the, uh, the truth will be evil spoken of. We've got Baptists. We've got Methodists, we've got Presbyterians, we've got Bible churches, we've got Catholics. I can go on and on. All believing different things, including Mormons, and say that they get it at least to some degree from this book. What does that make the world think? Well, you can make that book say anything. And it's true, you can. You can make the, you can make the Bible say anything because all you have to do is take things out of context. But when you keep it in the context, first of all, where it's at, and then the context of the whole Bible, it'll keep you straight. It's been amazing to me, and uh, I suppose since most of us in here uh, have been missionaries and therefore we've been in other countries, when we find people who really believe and follow this book, we find that in 99% of the stuff we're in agreement. Just some of the little shady stuff that's not as clear that we may not be. But we're in agreement if they really believe this book. So we need to, to, to realize that uh, they will be here and we can only stop it by discernment. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 30 it says, Also of your own selves shall men rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. What we've been talking about before is people from outside coming in and bringing in their doctrine. That's why we're supposed to keep our churches pure. That's why we should practice uh, only Baptist baptism. That's why we should practice closed communion. Because those God gave us, God gave us baptism to filter people before they, they come in. God gave us the Lord's Supper to keep the members of the church examining themselves impure. That's what those are for. And so we should, we should follow those things. And until, until relatively recently, historically speaking, Baptists all believed in, in uh, only Baptist baptism. They called anything else alien baptism. They did not accept, accept it. And they were all closed communion. 
but uh, they but there are also those who will rise up from amongst us i went to bible college yes i did carter <laughs> i went to bible college with one of these people this person that i went to bible college with went through all the same courses got good grades in school said he believed everything that we believed and then he went off and i lost track of him after that. But then Foothills Baptist Church in, in uh, I forget the town, north of Denver, the pastor, who was a good man, uh, retired, I think it was for health reasons, and they called this guy in. And they had to kick him back out in, in just a matter of months because the guy turned out to be a real heretic. He, he rose up from within us. So we can't even trust Fully, those who go to the same schools and come out of the same churches and stuff, they'll rise up in business. We're going to have them. Uh, uh, it says they will speak perverse things. These are things that are distorted and misinterpreted. And that's easy to do. It's easy to take something, especially some of these words that are not used commonly today, and tell somebody it means something and, and say, so this is where we're supposed to go. I see that happening all the time. And they'll do it to draw disciples after themselves. And so we need to be alert to that. That's discernment. Now we'll get to our text, and I'll read uh, verses 12 through 14 again. For when we, for, for the time, ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oral of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not strong meat, even uh, every for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong uh, meat belong to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We need to know the first principles. We need to know the basic. How is a person saved? You know, and those types of things. We need to know those things. If you go on to, to uh, uh, chapter 6, it starts out by saying, therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. That doesn't mean leaving them behind. It means you've got that stuff down. You're supposed to have that stuff down. Now let's go on before that. That's what it's talking about. We need to be mature so we can handle the meat of God's Word. And most Christians today can't. That's why they like the watered-down versions, because they don't say things as clearly and as strongly as the King James does. That word unskillful means without experience. How do you gain skill? Experience. You do things. I have the faith that I have because I have tested God for 64 years. And I've watched him be faithful. So I don't have to worry about whether he's faithful. For 64 years, uh, he's been faithful to me. So uh, I don't have to struggle to believe what he says. It's only through experience that we can discern between good and evil. It's only because we have tested things and we've tried them and we said, whoops, you know, that didn't work too good. And God said this and I did this and mm -hmm, that doesn't work. And God said this and it doesn't make sense, but I did it anyway. And that works. That's experience. Those who are mature have the responsibility to, tra to train the children, the baby Christians. Now, we may not be able to uh, teach a Sunday school class or do something like that, but we can live a life that's an example. And that's the most important kind of teaching there is. So we're, we're to teach that, uh, teach them that. Uh, 
In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, it's, and it really tells us why here, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby uh, they lie and wait to deceive. Spiritual children are tossed about by every wind of doctrine. Those of us who have raised children and those who, have, who are doing it are going to learn that your kids are pulled every way, every kind of which way. And there's nothing you can do about what's going to happen. We live in a corrupt world. And it's our job to make them mature enough to make the proper judgments, to have discernment, to see that, it, that what they're going to do is wrong. Those who do this do it through slight. But what it is, is it's fraud. That's what it means. We make you think we did something. Uh, here, here's what I like for the, the term for, for magic tricks. I like to call it prestidigitation. Then I tell the kids. The kids get it. You adults might not. The kids get it. Prestidigitation means I did something you didn't see me do to make you think I did something I didn't do. Now that's a slight. That's, that's tricking people. That's fraud. And they do it through fraud, and they do it through craftiness, finding sneaky little ways to get in behind and, and, and get you convinced of things. You know, if somebody walked in here and started preaching against the deity of Christ, we'd throw them out on their ear. But if somebody came in here and started teaching a little thing here, and then once they got that in, then a little thing here, a little thing here, they could get us to the point where we would say, oh, well, is Christ really God? They could get us there if they did it through enough fraud and craftiness. That's why we need to be discerning. If we're discerning, they can't do it. But they do it that way, and they, they, their desire is to deceive. And here's one last verse, Colossians 2.8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of this world. We must take care not to be spoiled by man's philosophy. There's a man, I'm not going to mention any names here, a, a pastor. He wanted to be a counselor. So he went and took secular counseling classes. And it ruined him. Because he no longer sees it the Bible way, he sees it the world's way. But we are to live by the world, or by God's precepts, not the world's precepts. The rudiments of, of, of the world are the basic things, the principles, the philosophies, those things. We're not to live by those. We're to live by God's principles. And folks, that means in everything. Not just in our religious life, but in everything. I mean, we're to be honest in our business life. We're to, we're to treat people who work for us right. We're to respect and honor our bosses. All of these kinds of things. And why do we do those things? Even if it costs us that the word of God be not blasphemed, that we are a testimony to those people. We're commanded to be discerning people. We're to test everything by the word of God. We're to be like the, the, the Bereans. You know what amazes me about the Bereans? The Bereans were more noble because they tested the preacher by the scriptures, right? And who was the preacher? It was the Apostle Paul. There's no preacher other than Jesus that I would trust more than I trust Apostle Paul. We need to check everything out and make sure that it agrees with God. You should not believe something just because your pastor or any preacher or even me says it's so. You should study it out for yourself. Uh, discernment is necessary because the world is full of false teachers. Now, next week, the Lord willing, 
I'm going to be looking at how to discern. Because it's fine for me to stand up and say, okay, you need to discern. You say, okay, what do I do to be a discerning Christian? I'm going to, I'm going to teach on that. We'll be learning that, that uh, discern requires effort. It requires discipline. It requires work. Uh, we must know how to rightly divide the word of truth. And I'm preaching to the choir here, but still, it doesn't hurt us to hear these things. We must know how to interpret the scriptures and what they mean so we don't twist them and come up with false, false doctrine. And that's easy to do because we all have our conceived ideas up here. And we go to the scriptures and we can read something and we can read it and not pay real attention to context and come up with something, even us. We can do that. We have to be careful not to do that. Although this week's and next week's I think are very important for us, I think the third week is going to be the most important. All three lessons are important, but I think it's the most important because I'm going to look at some particular areas in our day that we need to be discerning in. Areas where we need to be careful. I mean, I have a 11th century Cathar statement of faith, and I read it, and I see what they were dealing with that we don't have to deal with. And I think about the things we have to deal with that they don't talk about in their statement of faith, which is quite long. It's a lot longer than most of them that you see in our churches today. Or they didn't have to deal with those issues, so they didn't talk about them. I mean, it's not that long ago that our statements of faith didn't have to say anything about same-sex marriage. But they do now. Because if it's not in your statement of faith, you get in trouble. See, so things change. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828 828- 244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.